This probably won't come as a surprise to you, but God did not gift me with the skill set of being able to run very well. But let's say I came to you as a friend, and I say, you know, I'm, I'm gearing up to run this race here in Florida. And I came to you, and I said, well, here's my gear. Here's what I'm going to be uh, running this race in. This is my running gear. This is uh, actually my Navy pea coat, authentic. Uh, so what if I came and said, I'm ready to run this race? You would say, you're nuts. That coat is not going to help you run this race. It's going to hinder you from being able to run this race. And what I've said, oh, you're crazy. Look, I know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to run this race in this. You'd say, that's ridiculous. Now, the reality is, this is how many of us live our life, carrying around weights and, and sins that, that we may not even be aware of. And when someone comes to us and says, hey, did you know you're wearing a heavy pea coat? You get angry or defensive, or you say, you don't know what you're talking about. I can handle this. Yet we wonder why it's so hard to get through some of our days. Last week, we began a series we've called Becoming Whole. As we look at what does it mean to have a transformed life? And we said last week that God's goal for everyone is complete transformation. And this week, what we're going to do is say, well, how do we get started on this process? How do we begin our transformation? And what we're going to see is we need to take a look at where we're at. And to look at where we're at, we need to see where we've been. And so we need to look at our story and see that we are a story-shaped people. And then ultimately, as we do that, we're going to be able to become aware of, of some of the weights that we're carrying around. And as we learn to surrender our story to our Savior, we're going to be able to remove some of these weights and sins and run this race that God has prepared for us. And so this is my hope for you. And lest you think this is all just about you and, and working through your own stuff, let me just tell you what the vision of the series is and really God's vision for you. Yes, it's that we'd learn how to, to, to walk through this transformation process. But beyond that, as we do that, it's actually going to free us to be the kinds of people that God has called us to be. It's going to free you uh, to the ministry that God's called you to. And furthermore, as we learn what a transformed life looks like, we will be able to help others in their transformation because ultimately you can't lead people where you haven't gone yourself. So here's where we're starting today. To be transformed, you have to surrender your story to your Savior. To be transformed, you have to surrender your story to your Savior. My name is Justin. I am one of the pastors here at One Hope Church and uh, I am so glad to be with you. Uh, super bummed we couldn't gather last night, but uh, grateful to, to have this platform and to be with you. And so I want to welcome you wherever you find yourself this morning. We are so glad you're here. We hope that you will take this journey on a transformed life with us. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 today. Uh, and then we're going to jump over to Psalm 139. So you can go ahead and go there in your Bibles. Let me pray for our time, and then we'll get rolling here. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word, as always, it has the power to transform us as we look to Jesus and as we let your Holy Spirit do his work, we are transformed. And so would you help us uh, today as we open up your word and ask, what does this look like to look at our story and to surrender it to you and ultimately to begin this process of transformation? Holy Spirit, we call upon you now. This is your work and we ask you to move. Pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. 
Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and, and see what it says. Here's what we read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, or some translations say author and perfecter of our faith. What does this text call us to? Let me just point out a couple things. It says this, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. What is the writer talking about here? Uh, the image is, of course, uh, running a race, but imagine, you know, the, the weights are the anxieties of life. This could be unresolved wounds or unfinished business, the, the, the depressions and the anxieties that you carry around with us, literally the things that weigh you down. And the sins, of course, are, are the sins that we have committed or perhaps currently are committing. And what we need to know is sins have consequences. Sin always leads to separation. And ultimately, it leads to death, the death of relationships, the death of joy, the death of success, the death of fruitfulness. And so we're called, this text is calling us to recognize these things and to lay them aside. And here's the imagery, right? It says, let us run the race with endurance. So think about someone running here. And um, what happens is, imagine he's dragging these weights behind us, how that would hinder his progress in this uh, story. And so what we need to do, we need to take a minute and look behind us and see what are those weights, what are those sins that we are carrying with us. And then we'll be able to run the race that God has called us to run. And so here's the reality. These weights and these sins that we are dragging around behind us have been accumulating over our entire lifetime. And so in order to move forward in our transformation, we have to take a look back. In order to move forward, we have to take a look back and look at our story. So let me ask you, do you know what you are dragging behind you in your life? Are you aware of the things that are currently weighing you down? Or do you think it's just current circumstances? Do you think it's just the coronavirus? You think it's just the racial tension, the upcoming election? No, the way that we react and the way that we carry things has much less to do with our circumstances and much more to do with our story because who we are today is based on our story. We are a story-shaped people. So let's talk about your story. When I say story, I'm just going to talk about three categories here. Your personality, your personal experiences, and your perceptions. Now, in reality, our perceptions are largely shaped by our personality traits and our personal experiences. And so let's talk about personality. The American Psychological Association defines personality as follows. It refers to individual differences and characteristic patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving. Thinking, feeling, and behaving. It's identifying patterns. So these are all things that you can measure. You can measure how someone behaves, uh, how a report that they feel, how they think about things. And so this is an attempt to understand what it means to be human. So let me ask you a question. Hey, do you know your Enneagram number? Do you know uh, what those needs are that drives you? Do you know what moving to health looks like or moving to unhealth looks like in your story? How about your Myers-Briggs? Are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Do you rely on feelings or thinking more? What about your top five strengths or your disc profile? All of these things. I mean, there's a plethora of personality assessments out there today, and they're all aiming to tell you who you are. 
but at best, they tell you a slice of who you are. Because here's the reality, and we fall into this danger because we just, we want to know, we want to have control. And so we can come to these things and say, this defines me. This defines the totality of who I am. But let me tell you something. No personality test can tell you who you are. Only God can do that. No personality test can tell you who you are. Only God can do that. Are personality tests helpful? Absolutely. I use them every premarital counseling I do. I haven't taken an assessment. It's helpful information. It gives us some talking points, somewhere to start. But here's where our secular psychology, for example, falls short. It actually doesn't address the whole person. In many ways, it's written out the language of sin. It doesn't even address the spiritual components of who we are. And so we cannot be defined by just the observations of behaviors, feelings, and thinkings. And what these things are really going after. We want to understand, we want to know these things, because ultimately all of us are longing for our transformation, to experience true change. But here's the reality, as we saw last week, transformation only comes by beholding Jesus. And it only comes by the work of the Spirit of God. So take your personality test. They're helpful, but let's just use them as a tool. I mean, the personality really, it kind of sets up the structure for your life, how you're going to respond to certain things, because uh, we all respond to personal experiences differently. I mean, there's a classic twin study, right, where they grow up in the same exact environment, have the same experiences, yet they're wired differently, and they respond differently to the same situations. And so personality and personal experiences are going to work together. So let's talk about personal experiences for a moment. Every one of us is shaped by the experiences that we have had. It is an unavoidable truth. Who you are today is based on what you've experienced in the past. Now, there's this science out today, epigenetics, which teaches that in our developmental years especially, that our brains can literally be shaped by our environment, by the experiences that we have. It's a really interesting um, study. And so this is both positive and negative. We are shaped by the harmful experiences we have, and we are shaped by the, the good and joyful experiences that we have. So when you think about your story, can you identify the shaping influences in your story? Both stories of harm and stories of life, of joy, of freedom. Furthermore, are you able to connect the stories of your past with your present? Because I'm telling you, they are connected. We are inevitably shaped by our experiences. And some of us, we are reticent to revisit the stories of our past. We see no fruitfulness uh, or productivity coming from that. But let me tell you this. Imagine you're taking a, a drive from California to New York. And at some point, you take a, a wrong turn and you start heading towards Florida. Well, guess what? It does no good to continue on the path towards Florida if your destination is New York. At some point, you need to turn around and go back to where that wrong turn was taken to get back on the right path. It's the same thing with our stories. Unless we take a minute to look at our stories and understand what shaped us, we're not going to be able to move forward and to identify those weights and those sins that are hindering our process of transformation of, of what God wants for us. And so there are, again, good experiences and bad experiences, and they tend to shape our perception. So on the positive side, I'll give you an example. I was counseling a guy one time, and I've counseled a number of people now. Um, and he's telling me just, you know, he's just telling me about his story and, you know, how he loves to work on trucks. And he had this old, like, beat-up junker truck. It was awesome, and he just loved to work on it. 
And sometime later, we're just talking about, I don't even know what we're talking about, but he just kind of throws out, hey, you know, with my dad, we used, to, we used to work on trucks, and it, I really loved it. It really brought me life. And I just simply said, hey, that's probably why you love working on trucks so much now. And for him, it just blew his mind. He had never made that connection. But these are the sorts of things that happen. We are shaped by our experiences. And specifically, as we talk about harmful experiences and the reality that we live in a broken world, and many of us have experienced some form of abuse, some kind of a trauma, and these tend to drastically alter our perception of ourselves. And so maybe you, you know, in particular, you've experienced sexual abuse in your past. Um, this can have a, such a deep impact on what we believe about ourselves. And so I want to encourage you gently and compassionately to take a moment, take some time, and let's explore how these things have shaped us. Because what happens is, especially for small children, as they're developing in their brains, they don't have abstract thinking. Um, you know, if they're experiencing abuse or harm or anything like that, inevitably what they do is they put the blame on themselves. They say, it's my fault. I can't imagine that my parents could be bad, and so it's my fault. And so this shapes our perception of ourselves. And so some of those questions we might ask, do you view yourself as generally good or generally bad? Questions we ask, am I lovable? Am I desirable? Things we think about the world, is the world a safe place? Can I trust people? These are all the perceptions that we have, and our perceptions tend to drive how we live our life. And so this is what it means that we are shaped by our story. And what we ultimately need is the care and compassion of people to both know us and to walk with us through our stories of harm and, our, and, and to celebrate our stories of joy. And I believe that the church is the true place for this to happen. In fact, I believe the church is the only place that this can truly happen because Jesus Christ is living in the church and there is the hope of the gospel and the hope of transformation. So again, I'm gonna keep saying this. Uh, you need to be with God's people in this. Get connected in a group, with a group of people, whatever that is, you need to be walking with God's people if you wanna see transformation in your life. So again, you can fill out a Next Steps uh, card. We'd love to help you get connected. And so this is looking at our story. And so, but that's only half, half the, the battle here. We can know how we've come to where we are. We can understand how we've been shaped. But what we need to do now then is surrender our story to our Savior. And the first thing to do that is to realize that our stories are actually embedded in a much larger and a much grander story, the story of God as told in the Bible. We've said this before, but you can break down the story of the Bible in just four chapters as we look at the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And rather than step through those, I thought what we would do is look at Psalm 139 and look at how David talks about his relationship with God. David here in Psalm 139 is a great example of what it means to surrender your story to the Savior. Let's look what he says, verses 1 to 6 here. He says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. lofty. I am unable to reach it. Listen to what David says. God, 
you know me. You know my story. And this is not just for David. This is for you. Listen, God knows your story better than you do. He knows you. This, the, the language here is just a, of an intimacy, of a relationship with God. His hand is upon him. He knows you, and he's walking alongside of him. And so this is the first thing we see, that God knows David, and God knows your story. Let's skip ahead to verse 13 here in Psalm 139. He says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast is their sum. See, God knew David's story. He had written David's story. He had created David. He had knit him together. So this is true for you. Listen to me. Do you know that you were created by a good God? That you were knit together in your mother's womb by a good and loving and powerful creator? He made you who you are. He gave you your particular personality. And furthermore, he's writing your story. He knows all of your days, past, present, and future. He knows the stories of harm. He knows the stories of life. And he wants to transform your life so that you can respond as David did in worship. He says, I praise you because of all that you have done, because of what you have made. God, how precious are your thoughts. This is what God wants for us. This kind of intimate relationship. God created you. God knows your story. God has a plan for your life. We all bear his image. We're not just minds and bodies. We're mind, body, and spirit. And he's knit us together, and he has a plan, and he has a purpose. And so we need to see these things to be able to surrender our stories to God. Because what happens is this, sin. Sin enters in. We live in a broken world. And sin is, is evil. And evil, you could just define evil as turning away from God, rebelling from God. And Satan comes, and he is the personification of evil. And his whole goal is, as we saw last week, to put a veil over our eyes, put obstacles in our way so that we cannot see God as a good and loving and powerful creator. But we become suspicious of him. I'm not sure he's so good after all. I'm not sure I can really trust him. I think he's probably holding out on me. This is all the work of the enemy. Because God is a good creator that loves you deeply. Listen to how David responds or talks about sin here in Psalm 139, verses 19 to 22. He doesn't give in to this lie. Here's what he says. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me who invoke you deceitfully. Those who say that they believe in the God of the Bible, but live lives that are far from him. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemy. In our modern society, we look at this and go, that makes me uncomfortable. 
He shouldn't be talking about hate. Listen, this is, this is David, a man referred to as a man after God's own heart. And David hates sin because sin is the source of all of our suffering, of all of our pain, and all of the evil. And so to not hate sin, it's not just unbiblical. It doesn't work. And isn't this what's happening in our culture? Again, they've written out the language of sin and evil from our experience. And it doesn't work. I mean, just step back and look at what's been going on culturally with the, you know, the racial divide and tension. You know what the secular media people are not talking about? The universality of sin. That every one of us is a sinner. And nobody has the right picture. Nobody has a clear view. We need to hate sin because God hates sin. And sin is anything that is turning away from God and not living as Jesus lived. See, God is a God of love. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we love someone and someone we love is harmed, is sinned against, we should be angry. We should be angry at that. We should hate that sin. This is a godly attitude to have. Now, what we do with that is important. Because we don't take vengeance into our own hands, as Romans 12 says. We give it to the Lord. But we can lament. We can hate sin and yearn for God to come and do something about it. And the good news is, he did. God comes and does something because he's so good and he's so loving. He doesn't grant David's request to kill his enemies. You know what he does? He sends his own son, rather, to be killed for his enemies. God doesn't come to kill his enemies. He comes and he sends his son to be killed for his enemies. This is the magnitude of God's love. It's unfathomable. We cannot understand this. But this is God's ways. This is how he transforms people's lives. He dies for sin. And we need, you know, he died for sin so that we could live for him and by his power. Surrendering our story to Jesus means giving our life to him and receiving his life for ours. Forgiveness, the, the pleasure of the Lord, the love of the Lord, to be called his beloved. And this is what begins our transformation process, that we have given our sin to Jesus and we have received his righteousness, his life. And this has the power to change us. And so this is where it begins, as we said last week, our, our justification. But he not only died for the sins of the world, he set in motion its transformation. As we learn to walk with God daily, he is in the process of restoring and redeeming all things. And one day, he will make all things new. Revelation 22. This is what God's up to. He came as the king, and he brought his kingdom and it's been growing slowly and steadily for the last 2,000 years. He is in the, in the work of transforming lives, and he wants to transform your life. Read the New Testament. He does it everywhere. He heals leopards. He gives sight to the blind. He uh, makes people walk. He transforms people's lives. In our reading plan, there's a couple stories you can read this week to read about how Jesus does this. Here's what you need to know. Jesus wants to transform your life. All we need to do is surrender our stories to him. And he will transform us. Because only God can turn evil for good. Only God can redeem 
suffering. So that suffering isn't without meaning, but can be turned towards ministry. This is transformation at work. Now, let me share a little bit of a, a personal, some of my story here. So for me, moved in seventh grade. Uh, some of you experienced moves in your life, and uh, I think I was 11 or 12, so uh, kind of getting into those awkward years of uh, being a teenager. Uh, but, but we made this move, and to be honest, I just did not adjust very well to this new setting and um, you know, into this new school and you know, was made fun of in some ways, experienced some bullying, and, uh, and it really affected how I perceived myself. Some of you have this story. And I carried that for years, years that I was an outcast, that I was not worthy, that, that I was excluded that there was something wrong with me for years. And I try to compensate in all these different ways. And then God came and he saved me and he removed the veil and he transformed my story. He rewrote my story. And so all that I endured, um, I began to now experience a strength that was outside of myself. That wasn't up to me, but was based on the life and the work of another. And it's that same strength of God that drives me forward today. And he grew in me a heart of compassion and care towards others because I too had experienced what it meant um, to be abused in some ways. And so this is the process of transformation. This is what God wants to do. He wants to redeem your story. He wants to transform your story. All that we are called to do is to surrender to surrender our story to the Savior. And then it becomes a process of daily surrender. Let's just close on Psalm 139, the last two verses here, as an example of what it means to daily surrender to Jesus. Listen to this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my concerns. Those things that weigh me down and see if there be any offensive way in me. And then lead me in the everlasting way. Would you pray this prayer with me today? Would you pray this tomorrow and then the next day? This is what it means to daily surrender your story to your Savior. Search me. Tell me what you see. Lead me and the way everlasting. Let's pray now together. Father, we thank you that you have saved us. And God, I pray that you would allow us to surrender our stories to you, that you might begin and continue this work of transformation that you're doing, that you would free us to the kingdom of God, which is all about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God, help us to look at our stories. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. And then help us to surrender our stories to you and to watch you work. God, I pray that many, many, many more would experience this kind of transformation because of the work you're doing right now in One Hope Church. God, we love you. We give all of this to you. We pray it in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen.